welcome once again. It's the Chapter 49 podcast. Today is July 29th, 2022. It's a Friday. Uh, Duncan and I have tried to settle into Fridays when we can to record this because you kind of want to see what the week has given us. And uh, every week gives us something. Is that not correct, Duncan? Amen to that. <laughs> Every week is different. It's always something, as Rosanna Rosanna Dana would say. Yeah, that's a great quote from a, a great uh, late comedian there. She was great. Uh, Gilda Ratner, that's who, who, who played that part. But uh, this is the Chapter 49 podcast. Uh, we represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'm a volunteer, Larry Landon. Duncan is president of Chapter 49 of NTEU, where we represent most of the employees in this state that work for the IRS, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, so we are here for our weekly podcast. I want to start the podcast by just saying a word or two about some people who are struggling. And and it's just really before we got on uh, to record this, we were recording this a late morning of Friday, and... Uh, the news really has been quite devastating from eastern Kentucky. Uh, the death toll is rising. This is a section of eastern Kentucky, part of Appalachia, where these people are extremely poor to begin with. And to go through a horrible tragedy like this, where there's death and destruction of property and people being rescued from their rooftops because that's the only place they can safely be, uh, it's a horrible thing to see. Also, uh, a second round of flooding in St. Louis. St. Louis uh, is, is, is a lot of IRS people working there. And uh, I have relatives there. I've visited St. Louis many times. It's it's a great city, and I hate to see that happen to the people there. Another great city in, in the Midwest. And Duncan, you and I were also talking uh, right before we started recording this. Of all places, it's the Mojave Desert that's flooding. In particular, it's Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, it's it's one of those where you see the scenes, and like you said, your heart goes out to the folks in Kentucky, uh, those impacted in St. Louis, and you know those impacted in Vegas. Mother Nature is a mean mother, and it's it's just very tough to um, you know plan for these types of things when they occur with this type of ferocity. Now, you need to be nice to Mother Nature. <laughs> That's an old saying, right? Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm describing her. I'm not saying yeah. anything bad about her. <laughs> and it does have, you know, and this is this is just terrible tra- tragedy we're seeing here. So thank. I just want to say that our hearts go out to them. And if anyone uh, in these areas that works for the government, there are ways that they can be helped. Uh, the agency provides help, and NTEU through other non, another nonprofit also does help people when they they're involved in tragedy. So there's there's help around, and if uh, people who don't work for IRS or the federal government also will have uh, a lot of help. I know that uh, there are a lot of us, and I was one of them uh, that helped out FEMA when Katrina happened. Uh, they, when I was working the toll-free lines, I think, I don't know if you were working the toll-free at that time, but, uh, the phone calls uh, couldn't be handled by FEMA. So we just took the phone calls. So we didn't always know what to tell people, but we told them what we could, at least they got a human being to speak with. And that was very important. And, uh, the stories that I heard Duncan were just amazing. But what also amazed me, and I'll just make this quick comment when I was answering those phone calls for for FEMA after Katrina, 
I remember talking to so many people, one particular man who owned a lumber yard, not right in New Orleans, but a little bit to the east of Mississippi, but not far. And it was, they were crushed by Katrina and his whole business was wiped out in the, uh, in, in the hurricane. And when I tried to say, you know, I'm sorry this happened, to switch, and he just came back and said, you know, we're that's fine because we're going to come back. I'm going to rebuild this business. I'm going to get the, some help, and I'm going to also do what I can, and, and we're going to be back in business. And best I know, that fellow was back in business. So the resilience of many Americans never ceases to amaze me, and I'm sure that will happen in this case. But I still, it's still a very difficult time to go through, especially when you have a loss of life. So we'll move on. I'm sorry, unless you want to add something to that, Duncan. I was just going to say that uh, the IRS does give help to FEMA when they have these types of situations still to this day. And I'm very proud of the assistance we're able to give them to get to help folks. And like you said, to be another lifeline, another voice at the end of that phone. Yeah, just a human being to whom you can speak, you know, that that was so important. And even though we didn't have that many answers, we could at least kind of point them in the right direction because the, the IRS helps staff these these emergency centers in the uh, zone of the the uh, of the disaster. You know, we have people that, that do that uh, on a regular basis. When, when some emergency occurs, FEMA puts several agencies together, state and federal, and they're there to help people, and you can come in and kind of get a one-stop help. And there's always a tax angle. If you have a federally declared disaster area, there are some tax breaks you, you can claim, and it's very important that people know that. Well, we'll move on now to our business of the day. And we had some very big news recently. It's been uh, in the, the general media about uh, Senator Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer, the leader, Democratic leader and the leader of the Senate, uh, majority leader is what they call him, that they reached a last-minute deal on on uh, a variety of subjects. They called it Build Back Better at one point. I think they've changed the name of it, but it's a lot of the elements are in there. And one big component of this is, is a very big uh, funding kick, $80 billion over 10 years for the Internal Revenue Service to build up our enforcement and our services. Uh, to where it once was many years ago. So tell tell us what uh, you have been able to glean from the information you have on uh, on what's happening uh, with this development. It's just happened recently. Yeah, this has just come out in the last 24 to 36 hours or so. And this is something that the IRS really, really needs. I mean, if we're to, you know, IRS is the one who collects, you know, anywhere from 93 to 95% of the money for the federal government. So if you give us the proper funding, if you give us the tools, we can re help reduce the deficit. We can help that situation. And if, uh, as we've been able to glean so far from what details are out there, as you said, 80 billion over 10 years, uh, majority of it going for enforcement, but also some for customer service and also, uh, part of that will go to improving our technology, our systems, so we can finally get off things uh, that are like on our master file that is still done with COBOL language, C-O-B-O-L, which is uh, archaic at this point. So this is something uh, they still have to go through the Senate parliamentarians to make sure they can go through a process called reconciliation, which means they would only need the 50 votes. Um, but they're very hopeful they can get this done. 
Um, and it, it would be a great boon to the agency and something that we really, really need to beef up our folks. Well, I hate to mention this again, but Duncan, we once again have some serious connection problems. Uh, I think we caught most of what you had, particularly at the beginning. It kind of came in and out a little bit, but I think we got the gist of, of what you were saying. I don't think we can uh, in any way uh, underestimate just how big a deal this is. I mean, I rem- I'm been around long enough and I started working for IRS in 1983 and comparatively the service was pretty well funded in most of the 80s it was in the 90s when things started to go awry for there are a variety of reasons for that that would be a whole podcast in itself to talk about how and why that happened but the IRS is is behind the curve on a lot of way funding and uh, and technology Duncan I think we're actually at the point now where we we're having trouble finding enough people who are still alive who know COBOL language. That's it exactly. It's uh, it's an archaic system, as I said, and it's very slow, very cumbersome, and we need to do make these improvements so we can you know make it better for the taxpayers, make it better for the employees, get more access to information. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be able to get more information. Uh, from a bank going into your bank than you can for the IRS. Obviously, there are firewalls and things of that nature that have to be worked, but you know we can get better technology to make it easier, reduce our phone calls, things of that nature. So again, uh, it's not a done deal. It is in the process of being done, and there are some people, uh, particularly in the Senate and the House, who are against this, and they're trying to stop it. So it's, it's not completely done. As you said, there are some technical issues on with Senate parliamentarians. I'm not even going to get into how that works with reconciliation. I'm not sure I understand it. I understand it a little bit, but uh, it is uh, a wonky type of, of, of process where you avoid the 60-vote threshold by going through reconciliation. and, and uh, But that's the issue we're dealing with at the moment. So uh, we'll be watching this very closely. Also, you can uh, follow our Facebook page, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. If you have trouble finding it, just send an email to Duncan Giles, either through the internal IRS system or our general email address, nteu49 at aol.com, and Duncan will put you on a listing where you'll uh, be able, or you can get that as well, but but particularly send you a link so you can get to our Facebook page. It's a because we had another page and ha- and had to take that down for technical reasons. Sometimes it's hard to just search for it. Unfortunately, it's just a technical issue. But well, Duncan, you notice you notice since they've made us take that page down that Meta's stock has gone down. I think there's a direct correlation. And I should never have done that to us, Duncan. Look what happened. <laughs> oh well. I I I I shed no tears for Meta, okay, and they're doing. They may have their their in their income and and their revenue may be lower, but it's still pretty high. I think they're doing all right. Uh, let's move on to another budgetary related issue because uh, we've been talking about the pay raise. We try to keep people up to date on that. That's a very important issue for a lot of people, especially in an inflationary time. Uh, the way it looks now, the, the House has passed a bill where the, I think they were silent on the pay raise, which leaves it up to the president, who's proposed a, a 4.6% overall raise. 
NTEU, our lobbyists are still working hard on the Hill to get a 5.1% increase. We would encourage people on their own time with their own equipment to uh, let their elected rep, their two senators and representative know how they feel about that as this goes through the process. We've still got a ways to go, and it looks like we're going to need another big surprise continuing resolution because it won't be done by the end of September, but they're further along now than they have been in past years. I guess we should be thankful for small favors. But talk about the status uh, of the pay raise as you know it. Yeah, as you said, Larry, it's looking like Right now, the, both the House and the Senate are silent on it, which would go to the president. The president is proposing what looks like a 4.1% across the board and a half percent locality pay. What uh, NTU is pushing for and others are a 4.1% raise and a 1% locality pay. And people say, well, you know, a half a percent, that's not that big of a deal. Half percent can be that big of a deal especially when it impacts your high threes, your annuities down the road, things, your pension, things of that nature. So we want to encourage everybody, and you can do it very easily by going to the ntu.org site on your own time, on your own equipment. You can do it on your phone. Literally send an email letter to your congressperson, your senator, your elected representative, uh, senators, excuse me, and you know, within a few moments, you know, make your voice heard that you want this higher raise. And people have come to me and said, well, you know, inflation is higher. We need to get more money. We need to get a 8% raise or a 9% raise. You're exactly right. I'd love it. But in this political climate, there is absolutely no way we're going to get that. So yeah. we're going for the highest figure that we can get. And we believe that would be the 5.1 with the 4.1% for everyone in the 1% locality. Yeah, just two observations, uh, because that's a good explanation you you just gave. But I want to just comment again on why that half of a percent can be extremely important. That sets the bar for future years. So if you can get that half percent now, as you mentioned, that impacts your pay in future years because that base is higher for the raise you get in in future years. So just that one half percent not only helps you this year, but it's going to help you in years coming. And and that's why that half percent is so important. One other thing, and we mentioned this before, retirees have an entirely different system. Congress doesn't have to act at all. It's 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 a system tied totally to an inflationary number. I haven't seen the latest figures, but it's looking like retirees at least on the CSRS system, are going to get a raise somewhere in the area of 8 to 9%. Now, we don't know that what the final figure will be, but it's at a minimum going to be about 8%, but that's tied to inflation. There have been many years in the past, I can speak from experience here, where retirees got a, a lesser raise than uh, federal employees did because inflation was low. So uh, I'm not saying I'm not making an argument for the retiree. Uh, I just want to let people know those are two very different systems. And even as we mentioned before, it's even different within the two different retirement systems. FERS FERS and CSRS, CSRS will get that full inflationary raise that Social Security people get. But if you're under FERS, the FERS part of your – of your annuity will not get the full amount. If you're on Social Security, you do get that full amount. But on the first part, it's reduced a bit from that number. So it's a a complex system, 
and they are two t- different systems. Congress never has to act to give retirees their raise. Uh, Congress has to act every year to to decide, and the president has a voice in that as well as to what kind of raise federal employees will get. I always like to remind people of that. These systems are, I mean, and, and the system is, is complicated, but that's why it's different. They are two completely different systems uh, for for getting the, the raise for the next year. Anything more on the raise issue? No, I think you explained it very well. And yeah, from what I've been reading, Social Security could go up anywhere from between 9 to 11%. So the CSRS raise would probably be somewhere in that range. And the first retirement, uh, just below that. I think they're one percent below after they get to a certain raise. Mm. Again, that's not a simple thing to explain, but it's a little lower at least when it gets to the higher range of, of of inflation. Let's move on to an issue that's a bit of contention between management and NTEU. We are seeing COVID outbreaks. You had uh, some. Uh, uh, offices really next door to you in the Minton Capehart building in Indianapolis, Duncan, where you work. And uh, there have been some situations where, you know, the IRS has to make sure that cleaning is done properly before people come back into the office. But we're seeing that maybe that's not happening in, in every case. What, what do we know about this? Yeah, this is one of those things, and I've talked to my uh, counterparts across the country, here in Indiana, it's, we've got a pretty good system down. FMSS and GSA here in Indiana are pretty well on top of these things. We get the cleanings done. Then folks are able to come in the next day. Um, as a matter of fact, we just had to close our uh, TAC office, our walk-in office, on, uh, on Thursday because of that. That's reopened today because they had a confirmed case, so they had to go in, clean everything down, that sort of thing. What I'm hearing, though, in other parts of the country is this extensive cleaning is not happening everywhere. They're not hitting everywhere that the person who had uh, COVID, who was like, identified as that, where they've been. And so this is a very big thing. We, you know, we want to make sure that everybody stays as healthy as possible. We certainly don't want to put any employees in danger, employees or taxpayers in danger by not doing a thorough cleaning when the CDC recommends that. And that's what this all boils down to is what does the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, recommend for the cleaning? And that's what should be done. How how soon it's done, when it needs to be done, what things need to be cleaned, that sort of thing. And here's a question that I'm sure you get all the time. The CDC does have these very specific guidelines when, let's say, a government agency like IRS does not follow those guidelines, uh, is the agency penalized? Can they can their feet be held to the fire? How, how, how do the rules work on that? Yeah, NTU, uh, both nationally and locally, uh, jump all over management to make sure this gets done. I know in some cases, the folks who do the cleaning, which are normal, the normal people who do the building cleanings, they're out with COVID. And so they don't have the people to do the cleaning. And that's part of the problem. The other part is just not staying on top of it. So there are penalties that can be done if, because uh, it ultimately is GSA who is supposed to provide these cleanings uh, or the landlord of the building if you're not in a federal building. And so there can be penalties to these landlords as well as the IRS if these things are not properly done. If it's not properly done, 
and there's a possibility of a danger to employees, then you're looking at sending people home to work on telework, even though it's not their scheduled telework day. Or if their work isn't portable, that could be weather and safety leave. So it's something that the IRS needs to take very seriously. And uh, National NTU is constantly on them about this, as well as the local chapters across the country. So you're saying in Indiana this has not been a problem. You have heard stories where elsewhere in the nation it has been for the reasons you cite. But if you're working in a workplace where you do not think this cleaning has been done the way it should be done pursuant to CDC guidelines, so what does an employee do to to let people know? Should they let their local chapter know if that is the case? Exactly, and that's where we get most of the information is when people say, hey, we've had a confirmed case, nobody came in and cleaned. You know, people want, you know, if somebody's three deaths down, uh, you know, had COVID, people say, why isn't my desk being cleaned? Well, because unless that person was at your desk, it's not considered necessary to do that by CDC guidelines. So they're, you know, and cleaning crews are loath to clean desks of individual people anyway, just because they don't want to mess anything up. And that's understandable as well. So there, there are a lot of rules to take a look at and guidelines with the CDC but we urge folks that if you do have that type of issue where somebody has had a positive COVID case and it's they've been in the office very recently and the cleaning has not been done, contact your local chapter. We can uh, follow up, investigate, take a look, see what we need to do to who do we need to talk to to get this taken care of. You know, that's an interesting observation about uh, not wanting to mess with somebody's desk. I was trying to remember how many people I ever knew that worked for IRS, worked in the office, and cleaned off the top of their desk at the end of the day. Pretty close to zero. Oh, no, everybody does, Larry. We have that clean desk policy, so everybody's desk is immaculate. When did that start? (laughs) It's been that way for decades. Yeah. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Mm. I, I got some. Uh, I could I could cite some names that you and I would know. <laughs> nobody else would know listening or watching, but uh, examples of clean desk policy not being observed in in radical ways. Let's move on to another issue, and we're, we, this is uh, an issue we brought up many times before. But there seems to always be a different angle to it, and and, and uh, important reminders that that need to be done. This uh, again, this temporary hardship. You've talked about it several times. Uh, this is a way to waive that twice-a-week requirement to come in uh, during a pay period if you're on telework. So tell us the latest on that. Yeah, this is one of those things, and we get questions. I had a question about it uh, just before we broadcast or actually recorded this podcast in the fact that somebody was a high-risk candidate and they uh, their POD was a mid and mid-risk, not high, but mid. And they wanted to know if they could get that waived, if the manager could waive it, or if it needs to be a reasonable accommodation. And for high-risk individuals and when your uh, county area is in a high risk, then you can go in and do a temporary, what's called a temporary hardship. And the you know, information's out there on that. Uh, you know, supply your medical documentation to get the two times a pay period waived coming into the office if you're on that type of uh, telework. The other thing to do is if you do have a high risk or you're living with somebody who's a high risk, 
um, you can file for a reasonable accommodation. And this type of thing would be your doctor basically saying that you can't go out at all because of your high risk. You can't go to the grocery. You can't go to the ball game. You can't go see relatives. You can't go to a party. You can't go to all of the office. If you have those types of situations where you're that high risk, uh, then by all means, do a reasonable accommodation so you can uh, try and have that twice a pay period requirement coming into the office waived uh, while we're in this pandemic. So uh, how many people in Indiana do you think this might impact? Or do you have a feel for that from the, it's, the feedback? It's strictly anecdotal. We okay. just don't know because uh, I'm loath to pry into people's uh, medical issues unless I have to. And so we just don't know for sure. There are a lot of people who um, talk to me and, you know, say that they're high risk. And I'm like, okay, will your doctor put down that you're high risk? Well, my doctor will put down whatever I want, want them to do. Well, that's not exactly the way it works. No. <laughs> you know, your doctor is going to be signing a statement basically saying that due to these categories, again, per the CDC, are what's considered high risk. So you have to have that type of documentation to even begin the reasonable accommodation process. So keep an eye on, <clears throat> excuse me, keep an eye on that, and uh, we will continue to update you here on this podcast. But uh, again, it may not impact a large number of people, but if, uh, from what Duncan just described, you think it applies to you, then uh, the reasonable accommodation venue—that's the the way you want to go. Uh, I we just uh, uh, a few minutes before, literally, we uh, started recording this podcast. I uh, uh, placed a flyer on our, excuse me. <clears throat> placed a flyer on our uh, Facebook page, and the flyer gives you an uh, an address to go to on the internet, and uh, gives an October thirty one of this year deadline. There are people working for the federal government who may be eligible for uh, some uh, forgiveness of student loans. Boy, there are a lot of people who could uh, get benefit from that. So tell us what we know. Yeah, this is one of those things, the public service relief of uh, student loans. There were some waivers that were created by President Biden on this. And, you know, because it was basically, have you paid the certain, uh, if, if you didn't pay your student loans to the exact right program before, you couldn't get any forgiveness. Well, they've expanded who those right programs are and told you what you needed to do. Um, and so I, we just want to make a general reminder that this is out there. When I send out the podcast link to everyone, I will be sending out the uh, also the flyer that has the information on where you can go to take a look to see if you do qualify. So if you do have student loans, you've been with the federal government for quite a while, and you've been paying on your student loans for 10 years, then you may qualify for this program where you haven't before. And it's absolutely worthwhile to check just to see if you can save yourself some money. Absolutely. And uh, if uh, you have questions uh, about this, about how to apply or whether you are qualified, if you're in Indiana, contact Duncan Giles. And if you're elsewhere in the nation, contact your local chapter and they can provide all the details for you. We've talked about the thrift savings plan time and time again. And I just saw a quote the other day from the person running the TSP. And it's not an exact quote, but it's something close to what the, the person said. That Basically, the thrift savings plan is moving in the right direction, but not where they want to be yet. So I do think that that agency is working very hard to get things in place. But 
uh, it's like, you know, you don't turn a a battleship around easily. And that's kind of what they're dealing with at the moment. Yeah, I had, uh, I called the TSP, I think about a week ago, uh, to make a change that I couldn't figure out how to do online. And they told me I couldn't do it online. Um, and the person I talked to, it was a very upbeat conversation. They were actually very happy saying, you know, you're the best kind of call I could have had before my weekend. Um, because having both of us having been on the phones, we know if you have a good attitude towards somebody, that really helps. And, you know, they were saying that, you know, it's just overwhelming the number of calls they're getting. They're trying to explain things to people. It's a change. And like you said, it's a work in progress. But I do feel they're putting their best foot forward and they're getting there. Let's put it that way. They're getting there. And uh, it takes work to do that. You know, speaking of that, uh, about talking to people and remembering it going into a good weekend, there's one contact I'll never forget. It was an older couple. They were both on the phone on extensions. They had been transferred a lot because they had a complicated question. It had to do with the state and gift taxes. They were doing some planning. It wasn't like high level. It was a personal thing. And once they got me on the phone, I started answering their questions. because They'd been on the phone for an hour or two. And I remember that the man involved said, you know something? You were worth the wait. <laughs> for somebody to tell me that, I thought, okay, that made my day. You know, And you talk to a lot of angry exactly. people, and you understand that where that anger comes from. It's not, they're not angry with you. They're angry at a system that that's not treating them well and you do your best to help them. And sometimes you can, and and sometimes you cannot. But I think when, yeah, when we call anyone, we just need to be understanding they're human beings too. They're trying to help and uh, understand that as you're trying to, to, to get help from, from somebody on a helpline. So with that in mind, Duncan Giles, your final comment for this podcast. Yeah, I want to talk just for a moment again about work-life balance. Um, You know, recently, uh, as a matter of fact, over this past weekend, um, my awesome and amazing girlfriend had had a dream about she wanted to see what's called a corpse flower. And, you know, this is something that blooms every seven to ten years, very rare, doesn't last long, that sort of thing. And wanted to see it. And there was one that was blooming over at the Cincinnati Zoo over the weekend. So she said, can we drive over and do this? Yeah. And it took us a while in line. Took us a while to drive there and things of that nature. But we crossed something off of her bucket list. And I think that's hugely important to people. If you've got the opportunity to do something like that, that you're really going to enjoy, that you really want to see, do that. Work is always going to be there. Work is extremely important. We all of us, for the most part, need money unless you're independently wealthy. So coming into work is very, very important. But you get a lot of time off. Take that time off. Enjoy it. Refresh yourself. Do something that you enjoy. Do something that's on your bucket list. It'll help you mentally. It'll help you physically. And it's it'll uh, you know get you ready to take the next challenge. Yeah, Duncan, as both a manager and a union official, it always amazed me. At the number of people, you always, you know, especially as a union official, you deal with people who maybe don't have enough leave and are trying to navigate that problem. But seeing people who had gigantic amounts of leave and, and they had to lose or use or lose at the end of every year, it's like, and get out there and enjoy yourself. Schedule some vacation time. Do exactly what you were suggesting. We all have interests outside of work. Let's pursue them. And that's a great idea. One reminder I'd like to give people, excuse me, <clears throat> is that uh, schools are opening in most of Indiana and other parts of the country. 
Uh, as you drive by these school zones, slow down. Be careful. You don't want a police officer reminding you of this before I do. So uh, make sure that you are slowing down and observing speed limits. Uh, our speed limits, I think, in my area for a school zone would be 25 miles an hour. I've traveled places where it's five miles an hour. I mean, it just depends on where you live. Uh, just make sure you observe whatever the rules are, wherever you live. And, and where the, those rules are there. Those laws are there to protect the children in the school. So just keep that in mind. Thank you, Duncan Giles. Always great to uh, talk with you. And if all goes well, we'll be back again next week with another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. Our podcast is almost two and a half years old and Duncan and I have been able to do this on a mostly weekly basis. And if you have any comments about this this podcast, refer them to Duncan Giles through the internal IRS email system or go to our email address generally available for the chapter NTEU49 at AOL.com. So hope you're enjoying the summer as we move along. And please be safe and be kind.